In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at this saying and wondered what sort of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said, How can this be, for I am a virgin? And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the child born to you shall be called holy, the Son of God. For behold, even your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for she who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture has been written for our learning. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would now so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your Holy Word, that we would be changed, changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I decided partway through the week to preach on Mary this weekend because I'm realizing I'm preaching on Joseph next weekend, and so you got to preach about Mary first. And here in Luke chapter 1, beginning of verse 26, as we look at Mary's story, here's the good news for us this morning, is that Mary's story is in fact our story. Yes, she has a unique role in salvation history, but you and I, if we are in Christ, in fact, are to live into the same pattern of life as Mary, the same call upon our life as Mary to ultimately bear the Christ into the world. See, what we find as we unpack this story here in Luke chapter one is that like Mary, we too have seen the grace of God poured into our life. Here's what God does with Mary and what he does with you and I, every one of us who are Christians. What God does with Mary, he does with us. This story tells us that God takes a nobody and makes them somebody in order to bless everybody. God takes a nobody and makes them a somebody for the sake of everybody. It happens in Mary's life, and it happens in ours too. This is the pattern of our life before God. So first we look at the fact that Mary is a nobody. I know it's hard to imagine Mary being a nobody. Her inconsequential beginnings are rather difficult to remember because nowadays she's the most famous woman who ever lived. And yet, at the beginning, Mary was truly a nobody. What does the angel say to her in verse 27? He says, Mary, there's no house, no lineage, 
No famous relatives included in the description. She's just Mary. And it's a very common name in the first century. She's a nobody. And her only sort of claim to fame is she's betrothed to a man who is within the Davidic household, the royal line of David. But on her own, she's a nobody. And she's also from nowhere. She's from Nazareth. We're told in John chapter 1 what Nathaniel thinks of Nazareth. Remember when he's invited to come meet Jesus of Nazareth? He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth was part of um, Galilee. Galilee, which got the nickname Galilee of the Gentiles, right? You've got to understand that that nickname is pretty awful because Galilee was a Jewish region and yet it had become so twisted and so backwards and so mixed in with the pagan religions of its day that they called this Jewish region Galilee of the Gentiles. It'd basically be calling them Galilee of the pagans. And this is where this nobody is from. She's from nowhere. And let's be honest, she's got nothing really to offer this story. Verse 34, she says, how can this be for I'm a virgin? I mean, the angel has just announced that the whole point of this moment is the birth of a baby, and yet her womb is empty. She's a nobody from nowhere with nothing to offer. What's interesting, when we look at our own lives, is we're always seeking to make ourselves somebody, aren't we? I mean, we spend so much of our energy trying to matter, trying to have a purpose, trying to feel like, am I really somebody? Have I really got to that place? Have I achieved something in my life where I can be somebody? I mean, tell me I'm not alone here. Come on, we all feel this pull, this drive. It's sinful and it's broken, but it's there. But the truth is, no matter how much of a somebody that we may become, in the grand sweep of things, in the sweep of human history, we're really nobodies, aren't we? Every one of us. I'll never forget when I was in Ottawa, Canada, ministering for a number of years. It's the national capital. There was a group of pastors that were chosen to minister to the prime minister. And it was a kind of a secretive little group, but I'm, you know, seven years gone, so I think I can talk about it now. But there was 10 of us that were chosen across the country to actually minister to the prime minister. Stephen Harper at the time was a Christian and wanted a group of pastors who he could be honest with and real with. And I got invited in. I was the youngest pastor to be part of this. And I was super intimidated. I mean, this is the prime minister of Canada, like the prime minister of a G7 country. And we got invited in after we'd gone through all the layers of security screening. And I remember walking in the room and I looked at him and, I, and he stuck out his hand. He said, good morning. And I said, good morning, prime minister. Because that's what you say, Right. And he gripped my hand and he said, when I'm with a pastor, my name is Stephen. And it suddenly dawned on me, here's a man who understood that yes, though he was leading a nation, when it came to the church, when it came to the very work of God in this world, he was just Stephen. He was just an ordinary person. He was just a nobody, like Mary was, like you and I are. Think of Psalm chapter eight, verse three. When I think of your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, 
The psalmist says, what is man that you think on him? The son of man that you consider him. I mean, this is the appropriate place we need to begin. Before we can hear the gospel about God making us a somebody, we need to first realize that we are truly inconsequential. We are truly nobodies before the grace of God comes in. But grace does come in, and Mary, the nobody, is suddenly a somebody. What does Gabriel say to her? He says, greetings, O favored one. Or if you were raised in the Roman Catholic tradition, hail Mary, full of grace. Right? Favored. Now, I remember when I first heard that, I thought, okay, Mary must have been really, really special. I mean, to get that kind of greeting from God, like, hail Mary, full of grace. Greetings, O favored one. She's so special. God had waited for centuries for the perfect, pure, morally perfect woman to be born who could then finally bear his son, right? Wrong. That's not what grace means. Full of grace means, grace always means it is a pure gift, unearned, unmerited. To, for Gabriel to say, O favored one, which is the word charis in Greek, grace, O graced one, is to say, O Mary, you have found grace. That's what he says in verse 30. Or maybe even better, you could say, grace has found you. That Mary was not some uniquely special person by her own merit. She was a nobody like you and I. But when the grace of God entered in, she became somebody, someone who would change the world. This is what God does. He comes in with his favor, with his blessing, unearned, unmerited, never achieved, only received. This is what Mary is receiving. God's unmerited, unearned grace showered upon her. That's what the angel is saying. Mary, you have no idea the amount of grace God is about to pour into your life. And so it is with you and I. Grace poured out upon the head of a nobody, into the life of a nobody, suddenly therefore becoming somebody, somebody honored, Somebody who stands with favor in this world because God has made that decision, not because we earned it. Mary is graced, full of grace. And this is what God does. God is always in his character pouring grace upon the undeserving. He's always bringing life where there is no life. He's bringing something out of nothing. God, even in creation, look at the beginning. When he makes the world, he makes the whole cosmos out of nothing, ex nihilo, as they say in the Latin, out of nothing, God makes everything. I mean, even look at the way he makes humanity. There's Adam and he takes dirt from the ground and makes Adam, something inconsequential, dirt becomes a human being, nothing into something. And then he takes a rib out of Adam and makes Eve, something inconsequential, a rib, made into something amazing and beautiful, Eve. Something out of nothing. This is what God does. It's like the little boy in Sunday school who's about 10 years old, and he is just kind of amazed and horrified at this idea that Eve is made out of Adam's rib. Thinking, my goodness, 
The next day, he's in a hockey practice and he gets a bit of a cramp in his side and he falls down on the ice and starts wailing like a baby. And the coach comes up and says, what's going on? Why are you so upset? It can't be that painful. And he says, I'm not in that much pain. I'm crying because I think I'm about to have a wife. It's not saying anything about wives. He's 10, okay? Like he's 10. But we recognize that this is what God is doing. God is always in the business of taking nothing and making something out of it. That is the nature of grace. God making something beautiful out of ash. I like how C.S. Lewis puts it when he says that we are all, the, the world is a great sculptor's shop and we are the statues and there's a rumor going around the shop that some of us are someday going to come to life. This is a picture of what God does. Make something out of nothing. The words of Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet for the nations. See, we need to recognize, friends, that our somebodiness, whatever it is that we look and see in our lives, power and prestige or privilege or place, any of that that is now ours, that we've become somebodies in this world, we've got to recognize that it's all a pure gift from God. That we haven't earned it, we haven't achieved it, we haven't found it on our own. In fact, it has been poured into our hands undeservedly as grace. Whatever we have, whatever we are, our somebodiness is a pure gift from God. And that's why at this time of year, whenever we talk about year-end giving, I'm not ashamed to talk about year-end giving. I'm not going to talk about year-end giving during the, sermon, during the announcements, right? I mean, every week we get used to it during like late November, December, the rector gets up and talks about year-end giving. You can look on the back of the bullets and say, you know, we've got this much need to reach by the end of the year. And guess what? I'm not worried. It's just in your pocket. So just make sure it, you know, it flows into the church by God's grace. But I'm not going to talk about year-end giving during the announcements. I'm going to talk about it during the sermon right now. See, isn't that better? But the point being, you get a respite this week. But the point is this though, when we think about giving, the way we pour out ourselves for God, the way we give generously. I remember being a non-believer. I remember being an atheist, looking in on the church. And I would say what a lot of atheists say, oh, all the church wants is your money. You, you've heard that said, right? Right? And, and the truth is, I remember when I became a Christian and then became a pastor, I thought, I better have an answer to that because I'm gonna run into it. And man, I have run into that phrase, all the church wants is my money on airplanes, in coffee shops, sometimes right inside the church. I've heard that before. And my answer is always the same. When someone says, all the church wants is my money, I say, no, that's totally incorrect. We want so much more than that. <laughs> we want everything. We want it all every single square inch of you because every single square inch of you and your life is God's. It's not your own. He's given it to you. He owns it all. He only asks for a generous peace back. We offer ourselves to God knowing that everything is his. That's what it means to be a somebody by God's grace. It's a pure gift. We have not earned it. All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own have we given thee. 
This is the heart of what it means to know that we've received grace. Nobody's become somebody's. It happened to Mary and it happens to you and me. But it's not for our own sake. It's for the sake of everybody else. See, Mary is a nobody who becomes a a somebody by God's grace for the sake of everybody, for everybody's blessing. Look at what the angel says to her. He says, you shall conceive in your womb and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And Jesus' name means God saves. Jesus' name means God saves. The angel gives the name to Mary to make sure she understands who this one shall be. He is the savior coming. He is the one that will make things right. This nobody become a somebody is now bearing into the world the one who will save the world. Do you hear it? Look at what God can do. Nothing is impossible with God. God can take a nobody, make them a somebody by his grace, and then save the world, everybody, through that former nobody. Oh, how I love to tell the gospel. But he's not just the savior, he's the king. Right, we're told by the angel in verse 32, 33, and 34 that he will be great He'll be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary is bearing into the world the one who will save the world as its king, will actually rule and put the world back together. It's Isaiah chapter nine, the people walking in darkness. Oh, how we need to hear that in our day. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, can I get an Amen. Light has shone. You have rejoiced the nation. Why do they rejoice? Verse six of Isaiah nine. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On David's throne and over his kingdom, to uphold it and establish it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The king is the one she bears into the world. And he's the king that will show us what true kingly power looks like. This is the one that will tell us in Matthew 10 that the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the king who, when he exercises his greatest kingly authority and power, will do so hanging on a cross, bearing the sins of humanity. That will be his most kingly, powerful act. And what will be written over his head? This is the king of the Jews. This is the one that Mary, this former nobody, become a somebody by grace, bears into the world for everybody. For we know that from John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Whosoever. The gospel is contained in that word. Whosoever would believe. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've gone through this week. It doesn't matter what you've got something to offer or nothing to offer. It doesn't matter what your family is. It doesn't matter what you have faced or are facing. But you turn to Jesus and he will receive you and bring his life into your life. This is what whosoever means. 
eternal life with him. Mary, the nobody, grace to become a somebody, bears this one into the world for everybody. And friends, as amazing as it is that Mary does that, it's not that different than what you and I are called to. Yes, Mary is rightly called the Theotokos. She gets a title, the God-bearer. No one is going to bear Jesus the same way that Mary bore Jesus, right? She's the God-bearer. She has a unique, beautiful, incredible role in salvation history. But friends, you've got to realize that we have the same pattern spoken over our lives and the same calling. And I can prove it with the scriptures. When Mary asks in verse 35, how shall this be for I'm a virgin? In verse 35, the angel answers her. And here's what's amazing. Verse 35 of Luke 1 is almost identical to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In verse 35, how can this be? The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, what does he say to the church? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. It's identically the same concept. The Holy Spirit will come and empower you to do what would be impossible for you, but is not impossible with God. This is the point. You and I are called in our own way, in our families, in our communities, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, to bear the Christ, the King, the Savior into this world. We do it as we talk about him as we seek to live like him, as we love our enemies, as we invite our friends to church, as we offer compassionate works of service, as we simply learn how to be witnesses and share our own testimonies about what this Jesus has done for us in our lives. As we go out there and witness, we are bearing none other than the same Christ child that Mary bore into this world. We, the nobodies, made into somebodies for the sake of everybody. Do you hear the grace? And friends, the challenge for us where we can get discouraged, and season, the season of Lent is a season of darkness. It's a, it's a time where we press into the reality. We live in the dark. We, we have the light coming in more and more as we approach the celebration of the nativity and as we wait for the second coming of Jesus. But this is a season of darkness, and it helps us recognize we live in difficult times, and we can get discouraged. And the important thing is to remember that your impact, your living into this call to be bearing the Christ child into the world, to be like Mary, a nobody made to be somebody for the sake of everybody, you may not always, no, let me say that again, you will not see the entire impact of your Christ bearing in this world. You won't see it. You'll see glimpses at times, but you won't see the full story. It will not be until the day of the resurrection when you and I will both see the full impact of how our lives have in fact born Christ into the world for the sake of everybody. It makes me think of a young man, a young man whose name you won't, won't know. If I say the name Jay Watt, you won't know his name. You won't know his name because he didn't live here and because he only was a Christian for about a year before he died. He was converted when he was 16 and he died when he was 17. And you won't know his name because he didn't really in that year as a Christian do 
that much which would perhaps, you think, make a mark on the world. I mean, I think when you look at his life, he probably was able to lead one person to Christ. One person got led to Christ because of Jay's life, and then he died. And it would be easy to look at his life and say, well, what kind of impact has he had? He just led his best friend to Christ, and then he died. Well, guess what? I was the best friend. He led me to Christ after a year of just bugging me to go to church. I finally went to church. My life was changed in an instant. And he died not long after. And I can't wait to be in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth and talk to Jay about the impact of his ministry, of his Christ bearing into the world. Because all of a sudden I can say to Jay, you know, every sermon I preached, every baptism I performed, every pastoral conversation I had, every person that I sat with in grief, every Rwandan school or preschool that I opened, you were part of that. That's your impact. That's how you bore Christ into the world for the sake of everybody. And friends, it will be the same for you and I. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are the ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. Nobody's by grace made somebody's for the sake of everybody. Bearing Christ in the world. What's interesting is Mary says yes. It's not just interesting, it's profound that she says yes to all this. I mean, she recognizes only a small part of the cost of this call on her life. I mean, she recognizes already, for example, that she's probably going to lose her fiancé. She doesn't know that uh, the angel Gabriel is going to make another visit, which we'll talk about next week, to go visit Joseph to let him know. I mean, can you imagine her going to him and going, it's the Holy Spirit, I swear. I mean, it's just, she's assuming I'm going to lose my fiancé. She assumes that she's going to lose a sense of her own security, right? Because her family, again, Holy Spirit, I swear, like they're gonna kick her to the curb. This is the first century. She's gonna give up her body to this. Any woman in this room who's been pregnant knows what that is to give up your very body for another. She's looking at this level of cost and saying yes. And there's even more cost that she doesn't even know will come. We're told in scripture that a a sword will even pierce her own heart as part of the prophecy. Because she will, of course, it turns out, have to leave her family. Uh, They're going to have to go to Bethlehem. She's not going to have mama there when she delivers her baby. Mama's left back in Nazareth. She's going to have to flee Herod and go to Egypt for several years and be a refugee. And ultimately, 33 years later, she's going to have to stand and behold her son dying on a cross. All of this is the cost of saying yes to this call. But Mary says, yes, let it be to me, verse 38, let it be to me according to your word. How can she do it? It's because she understands how much grace has been poured into her life in this moment. Mary understands how much grace God has poured into her life. And so in response to that grace, she says, yes, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. This is what grace does is it warms our heart. 
It overwhelms our hearts to a place where we can say yes to God in ways that are sacrificial like we never thought we could say yes before when we recognize the grace that has been poured into our lives. Mary sees that grace and she says yes. What does she say in the Magnificat? You keep reading in chapter one. She she describes what's happened to her. She says, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior for he has looked upon the humble estate of his handmaiden. She understands herself to be an incredible beneficiary of grace and so she says, let it be to me according to your word. I am your servant. Friends, this is why we come to church every week. Not only that we could remember this incredible story of how God, like Mary in our lives, has taken nobodies and graced us to become somebodies, sons and daughters of the Most High, but it's not for our sake, it's for the sake of everybody. But it's in church, not only that we remember that, but we remember that we are recipients of grace, that we are overwhelmed and have our hearts warmed by this grace. Reminded, no matter what happened this week, you come in these doors broken, beat up, resentful, bitter, whatever it may be. Let the liturgy and the gospel speak over you. Come to the table and you will never be able to receive this gift and not say, I am an object of incredible grace. And out of that recognition of grace, so goes our service. So goes our yes. Friends, Mary's story is our story. Nobody's grace to become somebody's for the sake of everybody. Bearing Jesus in the world. Our answer by grace is to be the same as Mary's answer. To receive that grace again and again, week after week. To kneel down, receive that grace. And then to say, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.